Love this song. This song's so good. Better than the one Clay Walker sings, I think. I don't know why they don't play this. We're ready to play. Ready to play football, buddy. A um, couple of texts here before we get into football at 4, which yesterday we did at 4.15. Today we're doing it at 4. It's the brilliance of uh, Joe George. Steve Dees, which I don't think is his last name, but uh, Steve Dees says this year's offensive line has David Carr 2.0 written all over it. I don't think that that's fair. You still have Laramie. You're still going to get Titus, although they better not play. They better not rush Titus Howard back. First time the Titus Howard plays this year is going to be the first time on a new contract. You are not rushing back your new top five paid right tackle before he's 100% because you need protection right away. Like that, that, that to me would be another bad decision with a lineage of bad decisions with this offensive line. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, now you can't take chances. You never can, right? And injuries pop up at the absolute worst time. But the one thing that you can do is you can prolong injuries by doing something a little bit too... Uh, hurt, uh, knee-jerk reaction-y. I mean, the fact that you know that you're going to be dealing with two guys that aren't going to be of a higher level in ability-wise, you know, on the on the left side and at center, you need to make sure the other three guys that DJ was talking about and that most of the people in the league think can really play a little bit uh, are all out there on the field. And you can't screw around trying to rush a guy back and then it lingers. And then because he's lingering or favoring it, something else could happen. And then suddenly, before you know it, you're at the midseason point and now you're down three of your five offensive linemen. And now you really are talking about a line, no matter how good the other two guys are, that the quarterback is running for his life and probably getting hit too much like Carr did. I think that this is a has the capability of being a much better offensive line than what David Carr lined up behind center four for the Texans when he kept getting his head ripped off. But I think that you also have to be really careful in how you handle not just Howard coming back from injury, but now you've got to be hypersensitive and, and careful about how you handle everybody else, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, 713-780-3776. Mike Evans, T. Higgins, 8437. He says, I think Evans might be more inclined to want to go play in state with no income tax since he's played in one his whole career so far. Could be wrong. It just might work more in Texans' favor if they were to sign a better receiver next year. 7007. Higgins, because the Texans don't have a track record with signing older players that are above average, i.e. Ed Reed. Ed Reed's a good call. I hope we don't go down that same route this year with Jimmy Ward. I hope that's not the case. Uh, a lot of people on the Twitter when I posted this at Jeremy Brown, uh, they all say T. Higgins, which is really no surprise. I, I think T. Higgins is probably, I don't want to say better, uh, a better choice than Mike Evans because of the age. Age is the big because factor. of the age. But let's we all we we all assume that T. Higgins is, is younger than Mike Evans. We can all agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. T. Higgins younger than Mike Evans. Can we all agree that Mike Evans would be cheaper than T. Higgins in the Short open term, market? Right. Well, and also long-term. Because, I think period, yeah. Yeah, both are going to get paid. Because he's longer in the tooth, teams are going to be less likely to throw the, the entire bag at him for a long period of time, whereas T. Higgins is looking to for, to cash in le- legitimately at that wide receiver one new money that's been floating around the league for a couple years now. Okay, so who are you going with? We'll ask Joe first because I think it's Shocker. the least uh, suspenseful one of the three of us. Mike Evans, T. Higgins. Mike no, T. Higgins. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's I, what, we, what I, we thought. I'll tell you this: if it's a like a two year deal for Mike Evans, I don't hate it. Like, at what at what number? I, they have fifty so percent of what T. Higgins is making. Yeah, probably, I mean, I, it's hard to predict like, what the numbers going to look like. T. No, no, no. I don't think I don't think Evans would get twenty. I don't think so either. We haven't seen the big. But wide you know, wide receiver, receiver money yet. is silly. Yeah, but Mike Evans is also next year going to be thirty one years old. Which for an NFL football player is old. Like frankly, like, I'd rather if, if Evans right me. now is at sixteen. 
If you get them for 16 for two more, 32 for two, I take it. Like, yep. if I get them for 30 for two, that right. intrigues me. As opposed to Higgins, let's say Higgins gets 24 for, like, per. four, five. Yeah. You're looking at close to $100 million. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather Chris Godwin over Mike Evans because like, he's going to be available via trade, I would assume, also. But now you have to trade draft cap. No, I know. But, like, I'm just hypothetical. Godwin's saying. also, I don't think, a one in, in any stable i think godwin's yeah. a good that's, two. that's the question i have with t higgins well i think they're just very different like chris godwin's more your possession guy he's yeah. gonna catch tons of passes whereas mike evans is a way better red zone threat it's gonna catch you can also of still go deep absolutely yeah and he, he kind of his deep route is kind of like i'm bigger than you i'm gonna catch the ball over you versus like i'm he a burner nowadays so well yeah now t higgins is interesting to me because we've never seen like i mean jamar chase has been hurt things like that but he's had Jamar Chase. Like, he's had Jamar Chase. So, like, what is T. Higgins away from Jamar Chase as the wide receiver one for an NFL football team? Like, that's something that I would hesitate to pay him top wide receiver money, not knowing exactly what he's going to be as the clear-cut number one receiver on his team. Whereas Mike Evans, like, solid. He's not, I don't know if he's going to be as good as Higgins. Probably not. But he's not going to cost you as much. And I know what he looks like as wide receiver one on a team. Well, and it's almost the old Batman-Robin analogy. Be careful what you wish for because you want to be Batman, not Robin. And we've seen this with Westbrook and, and KD. And we've seen this in so many scenarios where a guy was playing second fiddle to the big dog and didn't realize, hey, I get less double teams. I don't get the best defender on me. I get the second best defender. So I've been able to cash in financially. I've been getting a lot of accolades and love and, and you know and, and cred for it. But now I'm going to be asked to take the role on another team of the man. Am I ready for that? Can I handle that? Can I do the same things? Get the same stats? Because that's what's going to be expected of me. I'm, it's going to be expected of me to take it to another level than the level I've already been at when I've been real comfortable and it's been easier. So... It's a question that's absolutely valid when you look at it and say, when I get separated from the Batman of our receiving core, can I be Batman somewhere else? And then you also have to factor in the quarterback that's going to be giving you the football because you may be able to do a lot of the things that Jamar Chase does. You may be fully capable of being a better-than-average wide receiver one, but if you don't have the right quarterback delivering you the football then it's all for not. Higgins is a year older than Chase, so he had his first year in 2020 where he was probably Cincinnati's best receiver. Like I would say he was Cincinnati's best receiver, but he was a rookie. He was a rookie. He's playing with Joe Burrow, who was also a rookie, and then Joe Burrow got hurt late in that year. Had a really good rookie year. Like He almost had 1,000 yards as a rookie without Jamar Chase. With a rookie, Joe Burrow, who got hurt kind of in the back quarter of that season, uh, final quarter of that season, and then had to play with Cincinnati's backup quarterback, which I don't even remember who Cincinnati's backup quarterback was at that time. So Higgins has had a year as a rookie all by himself. I think Higgins is still a better player than Mike Evans at their current state of their careers. Higgins will be 24 years old this year. He'll be 25 when he's a free agent. Uh, Mike Evans is 30 this year. He's going to be 31 when he's a free agent. So that's why T. Higgins is going to make a lot more money. But I think that Mike Evans can produce similar to what T. Higgins can produce. Now, this year matters a lot. Like, if Mike Evans shows that he's washed this year, then I have no interest. But if Mike Evans does this year what he did last year, and the numbers might not be as good because he has Baker Mayfield throwing him the football as opposed to Tom Brady, if Evans looks washed this year, if he looks old, then, then I'm out of the Mike Evans conversation. But if Mike Evans still seems like he is the Mike Evans of last year, the year before, where he's had a 1,000 yard re, uh, receiving yards every single year of his NFL career, I'd be more tempted to have Mike Evans on a, on a shorter-term, less expensive deal. I, I think Mike Evans is more suited for a playoff-contending football team. Uh, and I think that you know a veteran quarterback that you've, Already, you know, you already know that it's easy to build timing with that. You know that, you know, there's nothing, no route off the table. And, you know, guys that are going to be able to, you know, make the right decisions 
for the majority of the time, no matter what the situation. I think the beauty of having a T. Higgins around a C.J. Stroud is he can possibly help him become better. They can grow together. Um, they're similar, at least similar enough in age, too. And then when you add a Tank Dell into the mix, you hope that John Mechie at some point's in the mix as well. Now, instead of wondering if you could have gotten Marvin Harrison Jr. or what you would have needed in the draft uh, next year at wide receiver if Stroud plays well, now you already have a guy that comes in along with the guys that you've already drafted previously and say, hey, suddenly we've got a really good young wide receiver room that can grow along with our quarterback. Yeah, I think Tegan's, Tegan's, his career is really interesting because mm-hmm. like his first year, like you said, like he doesn't have Chase. He doesn't have Burrow with full-time. He has had 74 catches the last two seasons, each of them. 67 his rookie year. He's caught six touchdowns, six touchdowns, and seven touchdowns. So, like, as he kind of became the Robin, he replicated his rookie year stats as the number two guy. He's never had more than 1,100 receiving yards. But, like, as a number two, 74 catches a year. Now, look, he's getting 110 targets every year. Like, his stats, it's they're almost all identical every year. I just, I think he can take that next step as a dude. I and, do, too. I and, really do. And I know, like, the, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but... The kid, the wide receiver that's going to be coming out from Ohio State this year, Marvin Harrison Jr. The other one, uh, Nicky Igbule. Yeah, that's actually not his name. That's a former Cougar, but it's oh. very similar to that name. Yeah, but like there's another wide receiver <laughs> from Ohio State who's also going to go in the first round this year, who is already being mocked relentlessly to the Texans. If you're a psychopath like me and maybe Jeremy uh, looking yeah. at 2024 mock drafts, it's a Nicky Igbule, not Igbule. Yeah. Like draft a wide receiver late in the first, wherever the Bengals pick is. Bring in T. Higgins, yeah, Tank Dell. Uh, that's a lot of capital on receivers, though. Like I feel, I feel like you have to pick one of the two. Like if you're destined to bring in a receiver next year, like you, you're hell bent on it, then you have to either spend the first rounder or you spend free agency money on one. I don't think you do both. They have a hundred million dollars in cap space, so I think they can. But you use hundred million dollars in cap space. If you spend it on T. Higgins, he's probably going to get. I don't know, twenty five, thirty million dollars. So you, that's that's I mean, it's thirty percent of it right off the right off the gates, no, you're and right. Like right out of the gates. And this this Houston Texans team still has a lot of holes. Hundred percent. But like, if you draft a wide receiver and you sign T Higgins and you have Tank Dell, then like you kind of remind me of what Cincinnati has right now. They have two elite wide receivers and they have uh, Boyd, who like is a really good third option and would be similar to what Tank Dell is. So while yes, you are neglecting in this beautiful world I'm living in. <laughs> Like other positions, you are setting your quarterback up for extreme, extreme success. I don't love. They're never going to do that. This route, like, it would be incredibly entertaining. It would be incredibly entertaining the way that you like present it, it. It sounds very, very interesting to me. I am more of a believer of the Kansas City route. And look, everybody, well, you know, nobody's Pat Mahomes. Okay, well, like they, Green Bay did it. Green Bay was fine last year without Devontae Adams. Like they still won a lot of football games. Kansas City's never going to pay receivers top dollar because they have Pat Mahomes, and Pat Mahomes is going to elevate every he single receiver better, that he right? plays. That's why they traded Tyreek Hill. They really didn't have any interest in bringing back Juju Smith Schuster. Their receivers this year are Kadarius Tony, Sky Moore, who they drafted last year, Rasheed Rice, who they drafted this year. Like they're a bunch of like solid dudes on pretty cheap contracts. Like, I prefer that model and the quarterback being good. I feel like if you're doing that much to support your quarterback, then you really don't have a whole lot of faith in your quarterback. Who was the kid from Penn State that they just let walk to? Um, uh, the really speedy guy they thought was going to be the next version of Tyreek Hill. Are you talking about Hardman? Or, I the, thought he was from Memphis. Was he? I think he's a Memphis guy. Yeah, McCole Hardman. McCole Hardman. Yeah, yeah, he's with the Jets about, now. Yeah, but they thought, they thought that you know he was great when he was there, but when they thought when it was time to pay him, 
Pat can make, we can find another one of those guys. We can find a guy that can, you know, that has speed and, and can kind of react on, on the secondary, you know, on the second snap, I mean, secondary action off the snap. Uh, when, you know, Pat Mahomes starts playing playground football and it's tough to beat him, they can find more guys like that. And the other thing is everybody's lining up to play with him anyway to where you don't have to overpay because guys are knocking on your door right behind them going, I can play. I'd like to win a Super Bowl. We were both wrong on Harvey. He went to Georgia. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I heard your laugh, Not but Penn I was State. like, oh, they're both wrong. <laughs> Not Memphis. He went uh, definitely went to Georgia. <laughs> 713-780-ESP. What did you have planned for us with the Texans at four? Are you saving it or do you want to do it when we come back? No, we can do it later. All right. Like next week. Okay. 49ers got a fourth rounder from the uh, for the Cowboys for lap dance Lance. Does it make you regret some of the uh, the, t- the trades the Texans made? Maybe like for Brandon Cooks where they got a sixth. 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Uh, if you want to start throwing down some money on some of these football games, then you probably should. We had a good game yesterday, for at least one-sided game yesterday. Uh, listen up, sports bettors. I'm here to tell you about my favorite favorite sports book, my favorite casino, and that's BetUS.com. Football is back, as we all know, and that means it's time to lay down your bets. I only endorse one sports book and casino, and that's BetUS.com. Why? Well, BetUS is celebrating its 30th year of sports betting service with you. They're, they're celebrating it with you. With a special offer this football season, you can get up to 30 risk-free bets. That's right, 30 risk-free bets. It's called Bet Protect. If that isn't enough, BetUS offers the industry's biggest 125 percent sign-up bonus. You heard me right. 125% sign-up bonus, the biggest in the industry. And there's more. BetUS.com also offers a 200% crypto sign-up bonus, 250% casino bonus. The game always gets more exciting with a bet, but you can take it to another level at BetUS.com with live in-game betting. Do not wait. Take advantage of their 30th year offer up to 30 risk-free bets. Get Bet Protect. Get started today by visiting BetUS.com or get them a call at 1-800-MY-BET-US. That's 1-800-692-3887 to learn all about their bonuses and special offers. 1-800-MY-BET-US, BetUS.com, Sportsbook, Casino, right there at BetUS, where the game begins. He's Blank, I'm Branham. Lap Dance, uh, Lap Dance Lance went for a fourth rounder the other day, San Francisco, traded him to Dallas for a fourth round draft pick. Dallas also got Brandon Cooks early in the offseason for a six-round draft pick. And Joe wanted to ask the question, does it bother you that the 49ers got a fourth from the Cowboys for the bust that is lap dance Trey Lance when the Texans got a sixth for Brandon Cooks? No, I, I don't think so because I think that you're, you know, there's a couple different ways to why I don't think so. It's because Lance, it, it, yeah, you're rolling the dice, but at, at least the, the upside could be monumental as you go forward. Um, and, and so you give up a little bit more for the P word, the potential that the guy could really turn into at a certain point uh, when things start clicking for him. Uh, but it's also a risk. I, I, I don't think you give up as much for uh, you know a, world, a wide receiver that's older, a wide receiver that has had some issues with some teams. He's bounced around teams. We can go back and forth in terms of how it ended with the Texans or how it went throughout the process here, and it wasn't his first go-round with somewhat, quote-unquote, maybe an attitude issue. Um, and, and so I, if I, I don't think that I'm going to get into a whole, you know, they didn't get enough for Brandon Cooks. I think that that's a separate conversation. Could they have gotten more? A year ago they could have. But for, for what the time of year that they did it and when they made the move and why, because they just needed to kind of clean the locker room out and, and start fresh, it was enough. 
Um, Nick Casario botched Brandon Cook's tenure with the Texans. Nick Casario should have traded Brandon Cook's three different trade windows. Mm-hmm. He should have traded him trade deadline 2023. He should have traded, or 2022, I'm sorry. He should have traded him in the offseason of 2022. He should have traded him at the trade deadline of 2021. Three different trade windows came and went that Brandon Cooks should have been traded that he wasn't. Because there was a time when Brandon Cooks like could have fetched you a third rounder. Yeah, we were talking probably. higher than that possibly. And if we look at players as um, like assets, which you know players don't love when you do that, but quite frankly they are, just ask Daryl Morey. Like the, the, the Texans had Brandon Cooks. for They could have gotten a third rounder for Brandon Cooks. Decided not to trade him in three different trade windows and then also extended him. And with that contract that they extended him on – quite frankly, made him borderline untradeable. Tied your hands, yeah. In fact, the Houston Texans paid money to the Dallas Cowboys when they traded Brandon Cooks. Texans paid $6 million of Brandon Cooks' $18 million salary before the trade to the Cowboys. So the contract that Brandon Cooks was was on with the Texans was, was, was untradeable. You couldn't trade the contract. You had to pay 33% of the contract. That's why you only got a six-rounder. So I, I can't. I can't compare it to the Trey Lance deal with the Cowboys because Brandon Cook's contract was untradeable. Texans had to buy it down. And Trey Lance, as big of a bust as he's been, he's a quarterback with potential and is on a cheap rookie contract. So I I, I can't look at any sort of comparison with Lance and, and the Cooks well, trade. let me ask you this. Do you think that it's more of just because you said Nick blew it or was – that dysfunctional front office with Jack Easterby involved. I mean, Nick's the general manager. He's the one making the moves. Like, I, I maybe, like, I can't dismiss that as a possibility, but if Nick Casario is going to be the general manager and the the controlling party of the 53-man roster, I have to point my finger at Casario. I, I can't I can't give Nick Casario a pass and say, well, the Jack Easterby factor, if it's, you're the GM, you're you're his boss. Right, but the reason why I'm asking it is because whether Cal was a, capable of, of making a decision if there was, like, a split down the middle, Jack's a, you know, a, a a big Cooks guy, and Jack saying, you know, forgive and forget, and he'll get better, and he's my guy, and all these things. And Nick saying, nah, I, I don't, I'm not feeling it. He's done enough already. I can possibly get something for him. We know Cal for a, a period of time was going to side with Jack, or he was going to stay out of it. And Jack, for some reason, had a louder voice in the room in a lot of ways that was obviously bothersome to a lot of people, and eventually it subsided. But until it did, I think even Nick, who kind of had to feel indirectly like, this is the guy that helped me get this gig. Yeah, he's softened. Like if he's well, if he's cowering down possible. to Jack Easterby, then like he shouldn't be the general manager of an NFL football team. Like I'm not dismissing the possibility because Easterby was like a factor from the moment he stepped here to the moment. I'm not going to say the moment he left because they kind of dumbed him down. They neutered him the final six months that he was here. But Casario was brought here. You know, a lot of by Easterby, quite frankly. Let's let's get on the plane and go get That's our guy. But they promised Casario control of the fifty three. So if I'm if I'm grading the Houston Texans control of the fifty three man roster since Nick Casario got here, my fingers are pointing directly at Nick Casario. They should, but I think that the factor is. I think it was a legit factor for at least a portion of that time. You should have. But traded do you Brandon give him Cook. a pass for that? No, I don't give a pass. Yeah, that's where but, I'm at. But like, you know me, I'm happened. already getting more and more on the fail every day. I've been always the one that's been a little more open to saying, "Hey, let him." Let him have you know at least half of his contract. Let him have three years if we're having the conversation at the end of the year. But now this the latest and greatest is just this whole Kenyon Green uh, saga that I'm just going. What the hell are you really doing? And 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 why aren't you doing your job? And if you you know maybe if if it's a power or control issue, it doesn't seem like that when you're talking to the head coach that he felt like this was something that they did. 
He felt remorseful that almost the kid went through it because of something Nick did. But before, I think Jack Easterby overruled whoever the head coach was and whatever they wanted, whatever the general manager wanted to do. Yeah, I just I'm over the Easterby factor. Like, I'm did, glad did they Easterby, are. Did Easterby have a stain on this organization? Yes. Did Easterby have any say in the 53 man roster once Casario was here? I frankly doubt it. And if he did, that's it's not a great look for for Nick Casario that he allowed it. And I I, I don't think that he did. Not a great look if he did. And I, I'm I'm just done with Easterby conversations. I, like Nick Casario botched Brandon Cooks on three different occasions. He botched the contract extension. I don't think that the trade with the Cowboys was bad because I thought they were just going to have to like outright release him, eat the contract because I didn't think they were going to anything for Brandon Cooks. But the the fourth like I, I don't I didn't look at the Trey Lance trade to Dallas. I'm like man, the, the Texans could have gotten more for Brandon Cooks. I think they botched it all throughout the way. Uh, I, I think, sorry, Joe. Real quick though, I just think regardless of if Easterby was a factor earlier or not. The main thing is, all it takes is one opportunity. If you blow it as a general manager, it's because you were hesitant. You can't hesitate. You got to pull the trigger when the time's right and the iron's hot. He didn't do that. That's where, like, it's not. It's not. I have an issue with the trade now because, like, I agree. Like, just get rid of the contract. Get rid of the guy. Like, it was over. You got a six rounder for him. I still feel like they should have got more for them. But if you just would have traded him earlier, like, you could have got a third. Like Trey Lance is. An all-time bust of a draft pick, and they got a, and the 49ers got a fourth rounder for him. I have two pushbacks. Like he's Jamarcus there. Russell. He's Ryan Leaf. Okay, I have two pushbacks there. The first one is: you think that the Texans could have gotten more than a six rounder this this offseason? No, I'm Cooks? saying before. Okay, okay, because like I, if they would have traded him before, they could have got a third or a fourth, and like now, like Nick Casario, he just he botches so bad they eventually got a sixth. Yep. and then you got the Cowboys getting a fourth round pick or giving up a fourth round pick for an awful quarterback. Like, I know he's a quarterback, but he stinks. Brandon Cooks has had over 1,000 yards on, like, four or five different teams in the NFL. We'll probably do it again with the Cowboys. He's been he's been super productive. But I think one thing that you're dismissing is the contract. Like, oh, the contract's right. a huge factor whenever you're talking about transactions in sports and football. And Cooks' contract was untradeable. And Trey Lance, as big of a bust as he's been so far, he's only played in eight games in his NFL career, he's cheap. He's on a rookie contract. He's cheap. If if Trey Lance had the Brandon Cooks contract, no one would have traded for Trey Lance. So the cap, the, I mean the the financial aspect of it is, is something that you have to consider. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Todd Callis, the voice of the Houston Astros on AT and T Sportsnet, he joins us next. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN ninety seven five, ESPN ninety two five. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about my good friend Doc Linville. Doc Linville making a difference on a daily basis for guys that are losing their hair by the Neograph procedure, which I think he's the best in the business at doing. And if you don't know what it is, you can go to 975hair.com, find out all the information. It's absolutely fantastic that it can be a game changer if you have thinning a hair, or a bad hairline, or the fact that you might have just pattern baldness. The, the genetics are interesting in this because Doc brought it to my attention. He said, you realize you're never going to lose the hair on the sides of the back of your head, no matter how much hair you might lose in other spots like your hairline or up on top. And because of that, he takes some of that hair that's never going to go away. He repurposes it where you need it most in those troubled areas, and you almost see instantaneous results. And then in six to nine months when you see the full results, you can't believe that you got your own hair back. It's that simple. It's your own hair. And for listeners of ESPN 97.5, you go to 975hair.com and set up a consultation with Doc and his staff. You don't have to pay a thing. There's no obligation. There's no signing on the dotted line and giving away half your paycheck and trying to figure out if the procedure's right for you. You go in, the normal price is 150 bucks. You get it for free. Sit down, ask questions, get answers, find out if it's right for you like it was for me. It's right for Granado. It's right for so many others that have done the procedure. B 
be the next in line because he's making a difference on a daily basis by giving you confidence back, by giving you your hair back. I'm, I could not be happier with Doc Linville and his staff, so mention my name. Tell him that's where you heard it because I tell everybody, if you want to get your hair back and you're struggling with hair loss, there's only one way to go. It's the Neograft, and it's Doc Linville at 975hair.com. I just got a uh, an email from Elon. The X Factor? He's paying me. Oh. He's paying me. You know how much money I made this month tweeting at Jeremy Brennan? Tell me. Guess. I don't want to. Guess. Well, we have uh, Todd on, so you, you can ponder it for a while. <laughs> if you want to guess. Uh, let's go out to the HRP guest line. Joining us now, Todd Callis, the voice of the Houston Astros. Our conversations brought to you by Academy and by Daspit Law Firm. Thanks so much, Todd. Uh, taking a few minutes uh, ahead of game one of the three-game series between the Astros and the Yankees. And, Todd, look, Astros-Yankees, usually you, you get a matchup with those two teams September or later. It's high stakes for both teams. Well, not so much the Yankees, but stakes still pretty high for the Houston Astros entering the final month of the regular season. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, even last year when the Astros dominated the Yankees in the ALCS, this was a team you thought was going to be there as one of the top contenders in the AL this year. And here they are on September 1st just trying to get back to 500 and uh, not really a viable playoff team. So it is a little odd. Uh, the Yankees are bringing up a couple of guys today and giving them their first big league starts. Uh, so they have a combination of their old school guys like Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton and, you know, Glaber, even though he's not old, he's been around for a little while, DJ LeMahieu. Then you've got all the young guys in the bottom of the lineup. So kind of an interesting mix. I, I know, you know, the Yankees don't have a lot to play for, but certainly uh, with all the times the Astros have knocked out the Yankees in the playoffs, I'm sure they wouldn't mind trying to beat up the Astros when they try and go for the AOS this year. TK, first and foremost, uh, a big congratulations on the Emmy. That was nice to see. Well-deserved. You guys are so enjoyable to uh, watch on a night-by-night basis like we do. So congrats on that. Um, and, and then the question for me is, you know, we've seen this this outburst uh, with the road trip. We've seen this offense really come to light and be what it can be when it's healthy. Is it sustainable? Is this what they're going to hang their hat on this year going into the playoffs? We know the pitching can do it. We know the bullpen and the starters can do it. But right now what we're seeing is a team that can change games by putting crooked numbers up and just dominating you offensively. Yeah, in terms of being sustainable, the last five games have been off the charts, so hard to be sustainable with that. But, yeah, sustainable in terms of being better than where they were before, absolutely. Michael Brantley being a big part of that. Everybody uh, in the lineup benefits with Brantley in there. It gets a lot deeper. Uh, Jose Abreu's had a, a number of hits, five hits in his last three games. Uh, if he can even resemble anything close to what they expected at the beginning of the year in September, that bodes well. Obviously, your top four have been rolling along with Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker. So uh, you throw in Yiner and Chaz and what they've done this year. Uh, Jeremy Pena, I feel like his at-bats have been better in the last month or two than we saw in the first three months of the season. So, yeah, there are a lot of positive signs going right now for this offense. They were helped out a little bit by the lack of defense from the Red Sox and the Tigers over the last few games, but – uh, overall, they hit the ball really well, and hopefully that continues against the Yankees too. Todd Callis on the HRNP guest line presented by Daspit Law Firm and Academy. You, you mentioned the addition to Brantley helping out everybody. One one guy might not help out is Jiner Diaz. Seems like his ABs might get cut a little bit, not entirely, but a little bit. How do you think that uh, Dusty will manage the addition of Brantley back into the lineup? You know, Chaz still day off today, but Chaz is going to be a factor each and every day. Abreu you still your primary first baseman. Maldi still your primary catcher. How is Dusty going to find ways to give? Giners and plate appearances. 
Well, I think today's a good example. Carlos Rodon is the pitcher. He's got great numbers against Brantley, and Brantley had just played the first, the last two games in that Red Sox series, so today would have been three out of four. Uh, it made sense to give a righty a DH day, and then it came down probably for Dusty to Yiner Diaz or Chaz McCormick, who was going to be in there. We know Chaz dominates lefties. Didn't kill Rodon the time you saw him earlier this year, but in general, he dominates lefties, and Yiner hasn't this year, but Dusty's giving Yiner the start today. So uh, I think you'll probably see him start a couple of games a week behind the plate, and then finding him a spot in the DH role like tonight, you know, it's going to be a lot tougher, like you said, before Uncle Mike was ready. Uh, so we'll just have to see. But I don't think you'll see Yiner get as many at-bats in September as he did in August, just because that DH role won't be as prevalent for him as it was in the past couple of months. TK, we know how uh, Dusty normally, you know, he has, he trusts his gut and he knows he trusts his guys that have been there and done that. We've seen a lot more of Montero getting into more high leverage situations, and he seems to be working him into his one of his back of the bullpen guys. Uh, do you think by by the time we hit the playoffs, Montero is getting back to and and solidifying a role in that kind of back four, back five in the back end of the bullpen? I think he's probably the lead candidate to join uh, the combination of Maris, Abreu, and Presley as his most trusted relievers. Then you got Graveman still dealing with a little bit of that back issue. I know he's he's not on the IL, which is a great sign. So uh, Graveman kind of worked his way into that core four, if you will, at the back end of the bullpen. And I think you need more than four, uh, especially when you get to the playoffs and you're playing those high-intensity games. A lot of times you're going to your bullpen in the fourth or the fifth inning. So, you need, last year they had an abundance of options. They barely pitched Ryan Stanek last year in the playoffs in a year where he set the ERA record for the bullpen. Uh, Dusty has shown times where he has gone to Montero in bigger situations lately, and I think he need to have at least five of those guys to be ready to go in the postseason with a lead, and Montero might be that fifth guy. We always talk, Todd, it seems about the, the rotation. We've talked uh, how it's kind of a hybrid five-and-a-half-man, six-man, however they're, they're going about it. This week's rotation, JV, of course, goes tonight. You keep him on normal rest. Numbers are better on normal rest than they are on extra rest. Hunter Brown you know, has never thrown this much in his professional career. Christian Javier kind of struggling a little bit. It seems like Jose Arquiti's the the odd man out seems like he's kind of turned into the long guy out of the bullpen. And now the schedule's kind of favorable, maybe more for a five-man rotation now that you have every Thursday the rest of the uh, regular season off. Do you think Arcadis more of a bullpen, longer lever now than he is a starter, or do you think he's going to get another crack to start a few times down the stretch? Uh, remains to be seen. I think you might see Dusty hold Arcadis off until the game on Sunday, just kind of as a similar situation as we saw in Christian Javier's last start where he would be uh, the bulk guy coming out of the bullpen if Christian Javier doesn't give them a lot of innings. And unfortunately for Christian, uh, the month of August, I don't think he gave them more than five innings in any of those starts. So the Astros are trying to get Javier right. They're going to start him again Sunday night against the Yankees. And really, time is ticking for Christian Javier. This is a guy they counted on last year without uh, question being one of their top guys in that rotation in the postseason. And this year, they're trying to figure out if he's a guy they can count on in the rotation. So Javi needs to figure it out soon. Uh, you're talking about 27 games left, so five starts roughly for the rest of the season for Christian Javier. And if he doesn't pitch well Sunday, then maybe your key to get that next shot. We'll have to uh, wait and see how that goes. But France for sure is going to continue to start. Hunter Brown is going to continue to start. And Javier needs to pitch well to keep his options or to keep his hopes viable of pitching in the postseason. But if he doesn't pitch well, uh, with all those off days on Thursdays, or Kitty might see another start somewhere if Javi doesn't pitch well coming up. 
Todd, we know what Jordan can do. Dusty and we all kind of said he was a little, he's a, he was a tick off, but now he seems to be back where we're used to seeing him. Tuck's been killing it all season. Breggy's been up and down, but now he's really dialed in again. And how important is that to this lineup, especially when we're talking about a team that can win games with their offense with how good this lineup could be? But he seems to have really kind of solidified everything by sitting there in the top of the lineup, setting the table, and now hitting for power again. Yeah, he's the guy that is as important as anybody because you pretty much know what you're going to get from Tuck and Jordan. I mean, those guys uh, bring it almost every night. You're right. Bregman has been the streakiest I've ever remembered in his career this year. He has been really, really hot, or he has been really, really on the other side of things. And he tinkers, as you know, more with his swing than anybody else in the lineup. And it seems like what he's doing now has been a comfort zone that maybe we haven't seen at any point this season. So uh, if Reggie, Altuve is going to do his thing at the top, he's been on base at a 400 clip all year, which is amazing. Uh, I mentioned the two lefties. You know what you're going to get from them. Uh, so, yeah, Bregman becomes a huge piece of that puzzle when he's starting to do what uh, he did back in 2019. That's why this, this offense has been singing lately. Uh, they've been getting contributions one through nine, but Bregman's been a huge part of it. Todd Callis on the HRP guest line. Todd, I'm curious, kind of uh, an outside-the-box question here. John Sterling, legendary radio guy for the New York Yankees. Ah, Yankees win. He's got all the, the home run little calls he has. Do you have a favorite John Sterling call? <laughs> Uh, gosh, put me on the spot. I had to think about it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, John Carlos, not bad. I don't even know what he says actually after that, but I know it's something in Italian. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I, I'd have to think about it off the top of my head. That's the first one that comes to mind, but, uh, you know, I, I he, he's got his thing going there where everybody can't wait. I'm sure. He's got to figure something out for the new guys, Jason Dominguez and Austin Wells, who are in the lineup tonight. So I'm sure he's got a lot of suggestions as to how to call their home runs. But he puts a little twist on everybody's home runs for the Yankees, and uh, uh, it's kind of unique. John's been around yeah. this game as long as anybody, and he keeps doing it strong at his age. It's pretty impressive. I always like the, what do you know, Robbie Cano? Yeah. Like just simple, sweet, yeah. to the point. Todd, thanks so much, as always, for the time. Uh, we'll be listening. We'll be watching Astros' three-game series against the Yankees. Sounds good, guys. Have a good weekend. You too. Todd Callis, AT&T voice for the Houston Astros. Astros getting uh, getting it going with the Yankees here in a, a couple hours and change as the Astros entering play today in a virtual tie for first with the Mariners. Mariners' percentage points better, although they're kind of run DMCing their way into uh-huh. Shea Stadium. Uh, 27 games left to play for the Houston Astros. The SMU Mustangs are making some moves. The ACC making some moves. This reeks of desperation from SMU and Stanford and Cal, but I like where their mind's at. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5 and ESPN. Some dude on uh, on Twitter says, you don't know anything about Astros history. Is the Verlander best starting pitcher take. Um, I was going to say something else, but I forgot. Anyways, you see the news of the ACC. They voted on the additions of SMU, Cal, and Stanford. What did you make of this news from an ACC perspective, from an SMU, Stanford, Cal perspective? Mine's is more bigger picture perspective. I'm tired of seeing the, the coastline to coastline conferences come together. I mean, I was already a stickler for it in the Big Ten when we were seeing teams from Maryland and Rutgers join the Big Ten and even Penn State. But now we're looking at, you know, coast to coast. We're going 
with, with you know teams on the West Coast joining the ACC on the East Coast, and it, it's just it's gotten so convoluted and out of whack that you're right. You, you teased it the the right the desperation level. It just reeks. It, it's just everybody trying to grasp at the last straws to try and you know save face and and get enough you know together to where they can make some money and try and bring in more dollars to save a conference. I, I really don't like it. Yeah, you're going to be uh, out of luck forever because it's the way it's going to be Do in college athletics. you think it's going to stay that way? It can't, how's it going to change? How are you going to go back to geographical conferences? It, it, I don't I don't think it's possible. But do they just start eliminating? I mean, just blow either – they'll end up doing more of a just uh, blow all the conferences up or the SEC is not going to go anywhere because of the money. But you only have – like you could end up with like three major conferences that are just overcrowded and, and just, you know – I think so because I mean you think about it like the Big Ten's not going anywhere. No. The Big Ten has teams all the way from Rutgers to L.A. like from New Jersey to L.A. like that. You have to deal with coast to coast big conferences in college athletics. It's just the way it's going to be. It's the way of life in college sports. We are averaging one big conference dying about every ten years. The Big East died in 2013. That was that was a Power Six conference. That was a that was a Power Six conference whenever it died. 2023, Pac-12 is dead. Pac-12 is dead. Stanford, Cal have left. The only remaining teams that were in the Pac-12 are Washington State, Oregon State. They're not going to put a major conference on their back. Maybe there's going to be some merger in the works with like Mount West Conference, American, the two remaining teams of the Pac-12, and there's this new Pac-12. That's not a power league. So the Big East has died. The Pac-12 as we know it has died. We're averaging a big conference dying about every decade. I think there's going to be another big conference that dies in the next decade. Well, it goes back farther. When is Southwest Conference died in '96? Southwest Conference kind of morphed into the Big Twelve, though. So, that like, that's that, true. okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. There yeah. you go. And then, it, but then, what's interesting about that ten-year timeline is that 2036 is when this grant of rights deal for the ACC wraps up. So, like, mm-hmm. I think what they did is smart because they know they're losing Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina. I think that's it for and the guarantees. Probably somewhere else. Maybe somebody else. Now, there were three opposing schools that voted against um, adding teams. It was the three you mentioned. It was Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State. So those schools are going to leave whenever they can leave. Because it's like that's such a funny game that these schools are playing because USC did the same thing. USC and UCLA voted against expansion in the Pac-12, mm-hmm. and then they bolted the next year. So, like, those three schools are definitely leaving. I, it's weird that no one ever includes Duke with New, North Carolina, and no one ever really includes Miami. I wonder if Duke's just too small. Duke's, and, like, you're already getting that North Carolina market for football. Isn't Duke just basketball, though? I mean, as much as they want to be anything in football, yeah. it's just a— They've it, had a couple it, of, like, bowl teams. Yeah, it's but, like a basketball and. They're, like, I, I they're really, almost like Gonzaga on steroids. Yeah. yeah, it's a good call. Except they have football. At least they have football, right? Yeah, they have it. Look at Daniel Jones. Uh, I think there's going to be three conferences eventually. I think I, I, I think, think there's going to be, be the three, Big Twelve, the Big I, Ten, the SEC. I think there's going to be three power conferences. I, I think there's still. I think the ACC is going to exist because of moves like this. Now, part of the reason they added three teams is so they can get up to eighteen teams. And there's something in the contract with the TVs that it's good if they have fifteen teams. So when Clemson, North Carolina, Florida State bolt, they still have like this. You know, leverage on the networks. So it was strategic, definitely, from the ACC. I think the AC will, ACC will exist for a long time, but is it a power league in 10 years? I, I think that we, that's definitely in jeopardy. Now, from an SMU perspective, people are mocking SMU because they're not going to get any of the media dollars for nine years. They're paying their way into the ACC, and they're getting zero media dollars for nearly 
10 years, nearly a decade. That tells you how deep their pockets are with, with boosters. Kind of, though. Like, I think if you dive into it, yes, they are. They have deep pockets. But if you dive into it, they're only getting roughly less than $7 million a year from the American. So it's not like they're like saying, okay, we're not going to make $30 million this year because we really want to be in the ACC. They're saying, we can't be at the little kids' table anymore. $7 million is like, whatever. We'll, we'll cover the cost of $7 million. Let's get a seat at the table. But to me, it makes sense. Like, I, I kind of looked at it from a Houston Cougar perspective because it's what I know. The Houston Cougars were in the Southwest Conference that Joe just brought up that, that had the demise, and then they kind of merged with and formed the Big 12, which was born in 1994. If Houston, if you want to go revisionist history, hindsight 2020, Houston could have done, like, I'm not saying they could have done this, but if Houston would have done the same thing that SMU is doing right now, okay, you don't get a dollar for 10 years from the media deal. But you start becoming a full member as soon as 2004, you would have been in the Big 12 for the last 20 years. So this is a big picture move by SMU. Does it wreak desperation? Absolutely, it wreaks desperation. But it's a smart move by SMU to get a seat at the table when you absolutely have to have a seat at the table. That's what I was going to say is you're going to eat it financially in the short term to guarantee a seat at the table so you can stay long enough to have dessert, right? Because otherwise you could just end up being pushed aside like all these other schools and these other conferences are going to be when it comes down to it because I think Joe you're right I think it's going to come down to three conferences I think the only way that a fourth conference is going to survive long term is because of television It's because it's not just the money but it's going to be the need to have slots filled and they're going to have to be accommodating in terms of how much TV might demand needing a fourth conference needing more games and and thus paying more money but I, I just think that we're going to see. You're right. I think it's going to come quicker than than it has in the past. I think we're going to see all these conferences fall by the wayside. Yeah, I don't think I they'll like completely the... die though. Like, because I mean, if the ACC, they have currently have 18 teams. There's not 16 teams aren't going to go to the SEC, Big 12, Big 10. I think six will. So, like, where did the other 12 go? They they have a new ACC. So yeah. they they'll they'll have a different look. I think they'll survive. They might not be a power three, but they're not going to completely die. I don't think. I, like I the Pac-12 still, did. I still feel like the path that we're headed down though is that we're eventually going to have like the NFL light when these like when you can pay players and only certain schools are going to be able to pay players, and that's when Northwestern and Rutgers and Vanderbilt and these schools are going to get kicked out of their conference and the big money-making schools are going to pay their players like the NFL. You're going to have this weird college football thing, but then you're going to have like a separate version of college football that's actually run and regulated by the NCAA. Like I think eventually that's where we're going to land because there's no way that Maryland and Rutgers and these schools, SMU, are paying their players like an Ohio State and a Clemson would. It's really hard to do that because you have to have everybody acting on the same page for like a decade prior because you have to have the grant of rights all expiring at the same they time. They all do. The Big the, Ten and the, the SEC? The Big Ten and the SEC expire two years before the ACC. So like 33? So it's like 33. I don't think, I don't think they can happen that fast. Like I, I think that big picture, like the way you're going, is like a 40-year move. I don't think it happens in the next ten years. Next forty, I, mean, I hope maybe. Not. Like, but even though I don't know, it would, I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world. If like they went to like these like two big super conferences with the best schools, but then everything went back with the NCAA went regionalized again. Yeah, like you had like the TCU's, Houston Tech, like all those schools in one. It would conference. be very similar to the uh, what was that soccer league that they were trying to take all the big soccer clubs in the world, oh, like the like, Super League or yeah, the Super League, I, Super yeah. Liga, um, which I mean was kind of cool in theory. I could see that happening at some point in college football where you take like the top 
64 schools in the country, and you put them into like four 16-team conferences. And I still think there's... 16-team leagues. Because it's the haves and the have-nots, and as long as you still have the situation that you have with the combination of all the NIL dollars and everybody and the powerhouses capitalizing on the fact that, that... you know, kids can transfer every single year, enter the portal, and if they have a good year, it's like free agency, that you're just going to see a situation where the dollars make sense, and that's why you're going to need something like almost like the, on a grander scale of more weeks, you're going to need like a, a, a March Madness of, of all the other teams to try and create games, to create competition, to build the, yeah. to see where they sit in the polls while the other big top three conferences, you know, sit on top of the map. Yeah, it's going to be just be really interesting to see how it plays out because, like, a lot of people are talking about this on the Twitch about, like, the, the Olympic sports. Like, I, I just – I don't get it. Like, I don't get how it's feasible So I was reading today to – this. I saw this Dallas thing. Yeah, I was reading today that they're going to play, like, neutral site Olympic sports games in Dallas, which is weird. So it's like, also weird because SMU does not have baseball and softball. Well, they probably will soon. Probably. Like, they're one of the few Texas schools. In fact, they might be the only Texas school. This might have changed recently, but it's at one point in time, recent memory, it still might be true. SMU is the only school in Texas that has men's soccer. I don't think there's another Texas school that plays at the Division One level that has men's soccer other than SMU. Maybe one got added the last couple of years. University of Houston doesn't have men's soccer? No. No, I'm pretty sure SMU is the only Texas University D1 that has men's soccer. Really? Pretty sure. I would, I would think you could have a soccer it's team. It's Title IX. So title IX plays the a factor in here. Sports, yeah. So it's like football knocks out the use of a men's soccer for a lot of these schools. The the finances and the money aspect of all of this is, is fascinating. Like SMU forgoing nine years of media money and turning down American Conference $7 million a year to someday, hopefully. like that, This could backfire on SMU, too. It could blow like up if, in their if face. If the ACC dies in 10 years, then you just spent nine years to be in the league, and you never got to. You never yeah, got the fruit. You never yeah. got the fruit of the labor. You never reaped what you sow. Uh, also, from Cal and Stanford's perspective, Cal and Stanford are only getting a thirty percent share share for the first seven years. Like they're they're taking a very very small cut of a full share just to be in the ACC. Now, thirty percent share of the ACC is probably better than a full share of whatever the Pac twelve Mount West Conference American Conference merger would be. And the ACC is expected to receive. $72 million with the addition of these three schools, and 50 to $60 million of the 72 is going back into the ACC, and they're talking about having like this incentive program where it would uh, reward like the top teams in the league. I don't know how they would do that for sports, like by sports, but it, uh, it's crazy. It's, it it's is crazy. crazy. But at Cal and Stanford, they have a lot of deep pocket donors too, but the big thing is is that a lot of those donors, you got it's like rice, right? You get a ton of of endowment, but most times they also, they, especially at Rice, they stipulate, but we don't want to go into athletics. This is where the, the, the donors that are kicking in funds are going to have to also say they're kicking in funds towards athletics, and, and Stanford doesn't have that problem as much. Cal maybe a little less, but Cal's got a lot of money too. But but you're seeing that they're buying longevity. They're trying to buy their way into staying relevant, and then you still, on top of that, have to compete with the NIL, and you, you still have to compete on the field and, and get the kind of wins to be to sustain too, so that you remain relevant. Feels like a pyramid scheme. What the ACC is doing, quite honestly. One five nine two SMU Pony Express two going into full steam ahead. They are putting their money where their mouths are. There's definitely that's definitely true. Eight nine four one. If you aren't at the table, you're on the menu. It's true. SMU zero dollars in the media rights deal for nine years. SM, uh, Stanford Cal. They're only taking a thirty percent share. 
Got to get your seat at the table. I get it. 713-780-ESPN. All right, who said it? Can Joe George get off the schneid? We've been owning him. We've been dominating Joe George and who said it. He's nodding his head yes. He's pumping himself up. I think he thinks he has a shot. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.